Good morning, you guys. All right, so um, if you're new, I have two little kids, three and five, and the public school system this time of year becomes a Petri dish for all things germ-related, and I came down with this cold fever thing yesterday, which is why I'm not going to be greedy today. I'm on DayQuil, I'm on NyQuil, so I don't take any responsibility for anything I say today. If I get a little loopy and go back to my notes, you'll understand why. Um, but here we go, here we go. Um, our Declaration of Independence begins this way. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, and that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The pursuit of happiness. So the last 200 years, our country has been pursuing happiness. You could call our country a, a happiness experiment. And for the most part, it's been gr- going great, Right. I mean, if you traveled a fair amount, you know this is a very happy country. We have so much, so many blessings from God, so many ways he has allowed us to, to experiment with his happiness that, um, that we have the opportunity to pursue. Uh, but the last several years, it's been uh, on the decline. There's an organization that, that measures the happiness index of different countries. Right now, Scandinavia is at the top because they discovered oil a few years ago. That'll do it for you. Uh, but our country's been on the decline. We're not only in the top 10, we're like in the like top 40, and so we've been on the decline. All kinds of theories as to why this is true. Uh, COVID put a dent in our happiness when we're isolated. Um, obviously, divisiveness, political divisiveness, uh, uh, the threat of recession, the threat of nuclear war. Social media has been proven that if you, uh, if you participate in social media, your happiness will go down. And then this year, locally, uh, we have the Broncos. So, um, <laughs> you know, it's just, there's so many reasons not to be happy anymore. I'm moving to Finland frankly. Uh, the problem with happiness is that it's fragile. It's, it's like an egg. It doesn't take much to, to break it. And this goes back to the etymology of happiness, the nature of happiness. Um, the word comes from happenstances. Happy plus circumstances. Okay. Happenstances. Our happiness is based on our circumstances. And so if your circumstances are going great, if your financial situation is up and to the right, if your marriage is going well, if your kids are doing great, um, if you're single and you've just fallen in love with somebody, if your health is good, if your fantasy football team is, is winning, uh, then uh, you'll be happier. But if your circumstances are, are poor, if, if your marriage is failing, if it's uh, year 40 and you're still single and you've been wanting to get married, uh, if your financial situation is getting worse and no one likes your posts on Instagram or Facebook, uh, or you just read the news a lot, your happiness is going to decline. Okay? Joy, however, is a different reality. And we're talking about joy today, okay? Joy is a different reality. Dallas Willard, who's one of my favorite Christian authors, has said that joy is a pervasive sense of well-being that is infused with hope because of the goodness of God. I love that definition. Happiness is dependent on circumstances, but joy, according to Dallas Willard, is dependent on the goodness of God. Happiness is it's pleasure. Joy is a condition of the soul. Happiness is momentary. Joy is eternal. There's an old Spanish proverb that says there's no happiness. There are only moments of happiness. We have these moments of pleasure, moments of happiness, but they're fleeting. They go away. Joy, on the other hand, is eternal. The psalmist says in Psalm 1611, you've made known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Is that good news today? Joy lasts forever. Um, recently, C.S. Lewis, uh, there was a letter that he writ, wrote years ago that had been discovered. Any, any Lewis fans in the house today? Okay. Yeah, we got some Lewis fans. Good. I'm in the right church. Uh, the, 
this letter had never been read. It was found in an old book, and he had written this letter to somebody. And, and so when they discovered it, all the Lewis fans in the world were like, oh my gosh, this is like, we found hidden treasure. We, we just discovered the D- Dead Sea Scrolls again or something. Like, this is incredible. And, and uh, he's writing to this person about the nature of joy. He says, regarding the nature of joy, joy jumps under one's ribs and tickles down one's back and makes one forget meals and keeps one delightedly sleepless o' nights. It shocks one awake when the other puts one to sleep. My private table is one second of joy is worth 12 hours of pleasure. I think you really quite agree with me. Joy is so much better than happiness. It's so much better. Again, happiness is based on our circumstances. Joy is based on the condition of our soul. It's based on the the nature of God. So uh, as your pastor today, I want to encourage you to trade in your pursuit of happiness for pursuit of joy. Trade up would be a better way to frame it. Okay, We're going to talk about how to experience joy today. So we're in John chapter 15. We're going very slowly through verses 1 through 17. Uh, we did a series called Fine Wine because in this, this text, Jesus talks about a you know, vine and branches and half we remain in him. We have fellowship with him, friendship with him. We'll bear much fruit. In the second half, he talks more about obedience, but obedience to his commands and his commands always lead to love, deeper love for God, deeper love for one another. And so we're calling this series um, Get in the Ring, and I'll explain more why here in a few moments. But our, our verse this morning is John 15, 11. Again, we're going very, very slow through each of these verses, and we're just like spinning them around like a jewel, looking at these verses from different angles. John 15, 11 says, These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So Jesus is saying, the reason I've been teaching you all the things I've been teaching you about grapes and vines and branches and the things I'm about to teach you about love and obeying my commands, it's all for one purpose. I want you to have joy, but not just any kind of joy. I want you to have my joy, the joy of Jesus. When you, when you think of Jesus, do you think of joy? Some of you do. I, I didn't for the longest time because you know, if you read through the gospels, you, you don't get a lot of the stories. You get it's mainly about the, the last few weeks of his life leading up to the cross and then the resurrection, sprinkled with a bunch of teaching. Every once in a while, you get a story or two, like he just changed water into wine. You go, okay, there's some joy. You know, let's have some nice cab here. Um, but I, it's the movies that have messed me up. All the movies about Jesus, he's always like this stoic, angsty, like hippie from Woodstock era kind of guy, you know? And I'm like, that, I, uh, kind of disassociated when he looks at you, like some of the paintings of him, he's like, just, you know, in a scary kind of days. But the movie, or the movie series, The Chosen, has recently come out to, to redeem all the other bad movies about Jesus. Okay? So let me just show you this, this uh, gif about Jesus and The Chosen, because it's coming out, season four is about to come out. This is Jesus, obviously, and that's Peter. Let's just show that again. Let's just do that again. I just love this Jesus. I love this Jesus because he's so full of joy. So season four is coming out. It's time to start catching up. You can even get the app if you haven't watched it yet. I'm advertising. I'm not getting paid for this, by the way. Okay. And also, it's going to juxtapose Yellowstone, which is also coming out. So if you're going to watch Yellowstone and you're going to watch people being taken to the train station, you need to follow it up with Chosen to purify your mind, bring your joy level back up after watching Yellowstone and watching bets kill people or whatever. Okay. Jesus was the most joyful person who's ever lived. It says in Hebrews 1.9, Therefore, O God, your God has anointed you, pouring out the oil of joy on you more than on anyone else. Other versions talk about how Jesus was anointed with joy. The word anointed means to be covered. Jesus was covered with joy. 
In this translation, it's reminding us that Jesus was the most joyful person who has ever, ever lived. And so the quality of joy that Jesus wants us to have is the quality of joy he had when he walked among us. He wants to pour that into us. And then in terms of the quantity of joy, he, he wants us to be full of that joy, as full as we can possibly be. Like, like a glass, cue the glass, the gla- a glass that's completely full and running over, bringing joy into the world, into the lives of the people around us. So today, uh, we're going to talk about how do we get full of Jesus' joy? He's, he's said to us in verse 11, if we'll remember his teachings and actually practice his teachings, because as disciples, we don't just know things, we, we do things, we do his commands. If we put into place and practice his teachings, we'll have joy. So I've come up with a, a joy formula. I'm going to trademark this, I think. Okay, so we've got um, fellowship with Jesus which we've been talking about the last several weeks, remaining, abiding, fellowship with Jesus, plus gratitude to God, plus sacrificial love. I'm going to jump ahead to the next few verses that we haven't covered yet. Equals joy. Maybe want to take a picture of that. I'll do a screenshot for you right now. Where's your cameras? Okay. All right. All right. The rest of you have to take notes. All right, so let's start with fellowship with Jesus, the first part of my, my joy formula here today. John 15, 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you, now remain in my love. So Jesus, throughout the first several verses of John 15, has been talking about remaining, abiding. We talked about how remaining, abiding indicates friendship, fellowship with God. He says, out of the overflow of our fellowship with God, friendship with God, we will bear all kinds of fruit. One of those fruits will be joy. He wants us to live like life with him, like two friends that's doing life together. I, I read a book uh, last year called The Other Half of Church by a guy who lives locally. And um, he, he interviews this guy that's like, known as like a neurotheologian. I'd never heard of that, but it sounds kind of cool, you know? So he's a neurobiologist who does theology. And he's been, he studies like how people are actually transformed and, and grow in character and the, the fruits of the spirit using his, his background as a neurobiologist. And his premise in the book is you can't grow without joy. And he cites all kinds of research about people who have been trying to overcome addiction in their lives. And if they don't have like, if they're not growing in the soil of joy, they can't overcome their addictions. And he says, if you're a follower of Jesus and your joy levels are too low, you will not be transformed. You, you will not grow in character. You have to have joy in order to be able to grow. Our brains crave joy. Our hearts crave joy. We are made for joy. And he says, uh, you can't have joy without loving connections. Nothing lifts our joy level like being in community with people who love us. Seeing people whose, whose faces, when they look at us, they delight in us. And of course, the greatest connection of all is our connection with God, which is what Jesus is encouraging here. Friendship with God leads to joy. Uh, there's an old icon that some of you may even know about. This is uh, Rublev's icon. Uh, he, he painted this in the 15th century, although I stand corrected because iconographers say they write out an icon, not paint an icon. He, he's telling a story here. He's writing a story with this icon. And the story that he's referring to is uh, the story in Exodus 18, where these, these three angels that look like men, because angels often do that, they, uh, they, they met with Abraham and Sarah, because God had promised Abraham he would have a son, but he was 100 years old, didn't have a son yet. And I feel his pain, man. Like, I'm almost 60. I got two kids. I'm in the Father Abraham club, okay? <laughs> I am. And so Abraham was a little distressed about having a son at an old age. I get it. I get it. Sarah laughed. And then the angels went on to talk about, like, Sodom and Gomorrah, and then they left. And, and then uh, 
uh, that's the story, but, but uh, the, the story that is portrayed in this icon is bigger than just the story in Genesis chapter 18 where these angels met with Abraham at the trees of Mamre. This is about the Trinity. This is about the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit who, who have dwelled together in perfect loving fellowship and community forever and ever. The, the Jesus understanding of God isn't, isn't that God is some kind of impersonal life force, you know, you're a higher power. The, the, Jesus that, the God that Jesus revealed is a triune God who's always existed in loving relationship. And if you'll notice, there's a, there's a ring here. So you Tolkien fans, you Tolkien fans, this is the true ring of fellowship. This is the fellowship of the ring, okay? Do I have some Tolkien fans here? I'm just throwing you a bone today because I know you're like watching that Amazon stuff and some of you, you purists don't like it, but I'm trying to give you something even better here. This is the fellowship of the ring and Jesus is inviting us into the fellowship of the ring. Is that cool? This is our highest calling. Yes, we're called to make disciples. Yes, we're called to be transformed into the image of Christ, but the center of our calling is this calling to fellowship. In 1 Corinthians 1.9, it says, God has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Is that good news? Yeah, man. Joy requires loving fellowship with God. Uh, Tim Brown, in his message a few weeks ago, which was awesome, by the way, check it out. Um, he, he referred to Brother Lawrence and this book, Practicing the Presence of God. Brother Lawrence had been a soldier, and uh, after all the atrocities he saw in war, he, he, he found this longing inside of him for joy and for fellowship with God. So back in those days, what do you do if you want more presence? You go be a monk. So he became a monk, went to a monastery, but he wasn't very good looking. He wasn't very articulate. He wasn't the kind of guy you sit around and do calligraphy, write books, you know, like monks used to do. Um, they made him a dishwasher, and then they made him a cobbler where he fixed shoes. And that's what he did for years and years, decades the rest to the end of his life. But he, he wanted to, to prove that you could have the presence of God without sitting in a hermitage and reading Psalms all day long. So he practiced seeking God as he did dishes and talked to people and fixed shoes for the rest of his life. And then he, he put what he learned into this book, Practicing the Presence of God, which has sold millions of copies. But he proved you can experience the presence of God no matter what you're doing, no matter how busy your life is, if you're their mom or your CEO of a company or you're a student and you're busy and you've got all kinds of tests, no matter what your station in life, no matter what you do, you can experience the presence of God. Psalm 139 verse seven says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? There's nowhere we can go where God is not already present. He's right here, right now. He's at the edges of the universe Theologians talk about the omnipresence of God. Wherever we are, in any sector of life, we can experience God's presence. So the question becomes, are we being present with him? He's present towards us. Are we being present towards him? And all it takes, according to Brother Lawrence, is just a turning of our hearts towards him when we realize we've drifted away. And again, God's presence is not dependent on our circumstances. You can be going through like the worst crap storm of your life and you can experience the presence of God and therefore the joy of God. So in 2014, many of you know my story, I went through divorce, parents died, all kinds of bad stuff was happening and my, uh, my happiness index was at an all-time low and I preached, I want to say it was eight Christmas Eve services, which if your happiness level is high after eight services, it will not be high, trust me, okay? I think I had five or six Red Bulls that year and uh, 
I woke up on Christmas, on Christmas morning knowing I had an empty house and no kids, no, no presents on the tree, none of that stuff. And so I, I got up at four o'clock, put on my headlamp and went and climbed Mount Falcon, my little, my little sacred space. And then on the way down, I watched the sunrise over the city. And I began to sing these Christmas carols we'd sung the night before, the night before, the night before, because we had three days of Christmas Eve services. And my joy level just kept increasing and increasing and increasing. And when I finished at the end of all these songs, I just put my hands up and I started worshiping God. I like, God, I praise you, praise you. And I go, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. At the top of my lungs, and I reached this crescendo. Then I looked around to make sure there were no trail runners thinking I was crazy. You know? <laughs> my circumstances sucked, but my joy level was high. My happiness index was low, but my joy level, my joy index was very, very high. Yeah. All it takes is being in his presence and our joy will increase. Okay. So that's the first part of the formula. You want to increase your joy level, seek the presence of God, your joy will increase. Um, the second part of the formula is gratitude to God. Gratitude to God. So John 15 takes, it takes place uh, in, in a setting. And in, in the, the Gospel of John, we don't, you can easily pass by the setting and miss it. But in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you can you get more detail. And so uh, Jesus has just performed the Passover meal and he's transformed it into the Lord's Supper. And he's talking about how he's about to be betrayed and go to the cross because of joy. More on that in a second. But then as he, as he breaks the bread, he gives thanks. And as he pours the wine, he gives thanks. Jesus practiced gratitude. He was always trying to be an example to his disciples. Practice gratitude because gratitude leads, leads to joy. And it's not that joy makes us grateful, it's gratitude that makes us joyful. Joy is a byproduct of being grateful. Uh, there was a, a study done on college students who had uh, mental health issues. You know, mental health issues on college campuses has been a really big issue, especially the last few years. And uh, they took these, these college students and they put them in three different control groups. And so control group A was made up of college students. We have some college students here. I just thought, yeah, we do. Come on. Let's go. go college students. Um, yeah, listen up. Okay, so they, they put one control group in a, in a gratitude group and they had them write down things they were grateful for and write letters of gratitude to, to people that they, they cared about that had an impact on their lives. And then the, the second group, control group B, they thought about all the reasons they weren't struggling with mental health issues and they wrote about that, they journaled about their struggles, which there's a place for that, you know. And then uh, the last group didn't do anything, no writing exercises whatsoever. Well, as you can well imagine, uh, control group A, those who practice gratitude, before they started doing therapy, they already were improving significantly in terms of their mental health. And I would say the state of joy they had. And control group B that thought about all these negative things, they went down in mental health. Their joy levels went down. And then the last group just maintained homeostasis and stayed the same. If you want to increase your joy, one of the fastest ways to get there is just take some time and thank God for his gifts. I'm going to see a friend this week named Colin Millar. I'm going to be uh, in, in Houston, Texas later this next week at a conference on disciple-making movements. We're, we're hoping to see movements around the world, especially in the U.S., so disciples making disciples for generations to come. We're seeing that here in our church, and we want to export that to other churches, and so I'll be speaking, please pray for me, to prevailing model churches that are thinking about doing uh, disciple-making movement uh, work. And Colin will be there. And Colin's ministry is to create prayer movements, because you can't have a disciple-making movement without a prayer movement. And so he encourages prayer movements around the world. And Colin is the most joyful person I have ever met in my whole life. Like he just oozes with, with joy when you talk to him. And, and so I called him this week. I go, hey, brother, I got, I got a message on joy. You're the most joyful person I, 
I know you can help me out. And uh, I asked him, I go, hey, straight up, is your joy level genetic? <laughs> because you have so much joy. And it's been proven. Some people have more joy genes than other people, however that works. I'm not a geneticist. And I go, you know, it seems like you just won the lottery. And I go, I didn't. I didn't even get the ticket. Okay? It's, joy is not natural to me. And he did talk about how his mother had a lot of joy and, and how he, you know, probably more joyful naturally than most people. But he goes, I've had to work on it. He goes, I, I have to work on joy. And he goes, the last several years, I've been working really hard on joy. And so we, we talked about what he's been working on. He talks about fellowship. He, you can't talk to Colin without him talking about fellowship with Jesus. So he says, I get up in the morning and I, I just wait on him. I just, I, I become still before him. 30 minutes, up to four hours sometimes. I just want to be in his presence. I, I bask in his presence and it brings me joy. I wish you could see his face when he talks about this. He lights up. And then he said, I, I choose it. He said, joy is a choice. Uh, Philippians 4, 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Rejoice is a verb. You have to choose joy. Okay. Uh, Colin said that one of his favorite verses is Nehemiah eight ten. The joy of the Lord is our strength. He says, when I'm full of joy, he goes, I'm impervious to the attacks of the enemy and to temptations. Like temptation is not even tempting. Why would I be tempted when I got joy just from being in the presence of God? So he says, I choose joy because it's like a weapon for me. And then finally, he, he's grateful. When you're talking to Colin, he's one of those kind of people that maybe you've met these kind of people. They're talking to you one minute, and the next minute they're talking to God. And you're like, what's up, man? I thought you were talking to me. You know, praying, I'm praying. And he, usually when he's praying, he just looks up, and he like, expresses gratitude. Then he looks back, and he's like, he's talking to you again. Okay. Colin is very, very grateful. And that's why I think Colin is one of the most joyful people I've ever met. So here's an exercise you might try. Uh, writing down things you're grateful for. If you don't have a like a joy journal, get one, you know, or make a list. Or when you're praying, just express your gratitude for three, four, or five things that God's given you that day. If you're already doing that, up your, up your gratitude list to 10, you know, stretch yourself a little bit. Uh, you can thank God for the little things, like, like your health. You can thank him for uh, a roof over your head, water, um, Halloween candy. But skip the, uh, what's the Halloween acorns? What's that, what's that crappy stuff? Candy corn. Don't, you don't have to, you can pass on that one. That stuff is not worth expressing gratitude over. That stuff's nasty. Um, but like, you know, little things, fall leaves, you know. And then and thank him for the big things, the really big things, like Jesus and salvation and the fact you get to experience the presence of God right now. You're in the kingdom of God right now if Jesus is your king. Thank him for the little things. Thank him for the big things. And your joy level will increase. Jesus was joyful because he was grateful. So fellowship with God plus being grateful to God leads to joy. But if you just have those two things, you're going to get your glass full, like one-third, two-thirds, but you're not going to be completely full of joy unless you follow Jesus' example and you practice sacrificial love. John 15, 12 through 13, which will be our key text this next week. So I'm not going to go very deep on this. I have to touch on it. Jesus says, my command is this, love each other as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus knew that for joy to be full, you have to love people sacrificially. All the commands of God point in that direction. I I read a book this last week, and um, let me just caveat this. Whenever I say I read a book this last week, don't believe me. Here's how I read. People who know me know me well. I, I read the introduction, and I read, I read the, 
conclusion, and then I decide if I'm going to read the book at all, and I might, might cherry pick a few things from a few chapters. That's, that's how Ron reads, okay? So I, I, uh, with this cold, I couldn't sleep one night, so I read this book called What is a Girl Worth? by Rachel Denhollander. We have a picture of, of Rachel. She was uh, 2016, I think it was. She was one of Time Magazine's most influential people, and man, she's quite a woman. So if you know anything about the Larry Nassar story, the, the, the man who was a trainer for the uh, girls gymnastics team at Michigan State University and the, the female Olympic gymnastics teams, you may know something about this story. He abused 265 girls that we know of. There were probably many more. And uh, seven different women had spoke up and didn't get any traction in putting him to court and, and seeing justice done. But Rachel Denhollander did. She was the whistleblower that turned the corner on Larry Nassar's life. Yeah, man, it's worth clapping for, I guess. Sure, why not? Yeah. Um, but while she was the, few, the first one to accuse him and get him to court, she was the last one to speak. In the last two days of this court case, after he'd been found guilty again and again and again, the judge let 200 of these girls speak to him directly. I think they were given like just two or three minutes each. And she was the last to go. And so she began this way. How much is a little girl worth? How much is a little girl worth? Her question hung in the air as she addressed the whole courtroom. She said, I submit to you that these children are worth everything. And then she directed her comments straight to Larry Nassar, looked him in the eyes and said, in our early hearings, you brought your Bible into the courtroom and you've spoken of praying for forgiveness. And so it is on the basis, that basis I appeal to you. If you've read the Bible you carry, you know the definition of sacrificial love portrayed is of God himself loving so sacrificially that he gave up everything to pay a penalty for the sin he did not commit. And by his grace, I too choose to love this way. And she continued by saying, should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you have done, the guilt will be crushing. And that is what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found. And it will be there for you. I pray you experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt so you may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God, which you need far more than forgiveness from me, though I extend that to you as well. Is that powerful? to touch your soul. That, my friends, is sacrificial love. Rachel Denholler, she sacrificed her career, her friendships, and her reputation to give voice to 265 women who had once been girls and to put a man to justice and to prevent other girls in the future from being abused like they had been. That's the beauty of sacrificial love. That's its power. Wait, was she happy that day in court? I doubt it. Not the greatest circumstances to find yourself in, right? But did she have joy? I guarantee you she did. Sacrificial love always brings joy. It changes the very nature and condition of our hearts. Any mother in this room who's ever had a baby knows what it means to sacrifice for joy. 
Any simple church leader in here who has uh, week after week loved and cared for the people in your simple church and loved them too much to let them turn into just an ingrown group of people, but has pushed them out to make disciples who make disciples, knows the joy of sacrificial love. Any of you who've sat with each other this week because someone you know is grieving and in pain, you have joy because you sacrifice yourself out of love for them. There are people in this room who've shared the hope of Jesus Christ this week at work, putting their job and possibly their career on the line. You've sacrificed yourself for love. Jesus, my friends, wants us to be full of joy, not just a little joy. He wants us to be full of joy. And he wants to be full, us to be full of the quality of joy that he experienced when he walked among us. And it was because of this joy that he endured the cross. Hebrews 12, 2 says, who for the joy before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So when Jesus looks at us, when he sees us, he sees people that he died for because of joy. He looks at us and he says, it was for joy I died for you. Yeah. It was a joy to die for you. It was a joy to die for you because you are worth everything to me. So restoration family, let's trade up our pursuit of happiness for a pursuit of joy. And let's practice this joy formula that God has given us this week. Let's seek his presence. Let's seek fellowship with him. Let's practice gratitude. Let's thank him for all the gifts, big ones and little ones that he's given us. And let's sacrifice for one another and the mission he's given us. Amen? All right, as the band plays, let's take a few moments to pray. If you would close your eyes and bow your heads for a few moments and um, ask the Lord to speak to you. What's he been saying to you? His longing is for you to be filled with joy. How can you fellowship with him more deeply this week? How can you give thanks to him for all the gifts he's given you? Who is he asking you to sacrifice for this week? Take a few moments and be still in his presence and listen to him speak. thank you that you sent Jesus Christ into this world because of joy. Out of the overflow of the joy of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, your joy has poured over into us. And we thank you this morning you're inviting us into joy. Help us trade up our pursuit of happiness for pursuit of joy. And all of this to the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ, who came to give us joy. It is in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.